We are continuing our um, sermon series through the book of Philippians. We have called it joy because you see in the book so often Paul uh, says joy, 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 or rejoice, or rejoice with me, rejoice, be glad in some kind of form of joy or whatever it is. And man, I felt like in God's providence, how appropriate is it right now in this season um, that we remind ourselves of what joy is, how to be joyful, how to rejoice, how to be glad. And um, I, I'm just saying, God, thank you so much for this gift of a book of Philippians. Um, so we're going to dive into it this morning. Continuing, if you want to, you can get there now online. We're going to have the, the, the words up for you if you don't have a Bible. Um, but we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 2. And we're going to be drawing from verses 12 through 18. Before we... Um, read that scripture together. You can turn there as I'm talking. Um, I just want to give us a little bit of context here or something that's helpful to launch into this chapter. I don't know about you, but if you were to see me running, it's only because there's a bear chasing me or one of my kids is in danger or my wife is in danger or someone I love is in danger. I'm trying to run and help. But other than that, or maybe a bee's chasing me or something like that. I hate running. And when, I, when somebody, maybe you here this morning, maybe you love running. There's something really wrong with you if that's the case. Um, but I, every time someone says, man, I just love to get out and run, I'm thinking to myself, why? What is, what is wrong with you, you know? And most of you would look at me and go, you don't need to run, Kelly. You're perfectly fit as it is. <laughs> And I say exactly amen, brother, you know? No, but honestly, like, I, I, I like to get exercise, and I, I wouldn't say I'm an exercise buff, but Marianne and I will often, maybe three to four times a week, you know, we'll go on like about a five to six mile walk, and uh, there's trails near our home, and, um, you know, we, we found uh, some blackberry bushes. I'm not going to tell you where they are, okay? I'm going to keep that as my secret. We found some blackberry bushes on the trail that most people in this area have no clue that you can actually eat something that grows in the wild. Everyone thinks it grows in a grocery store. But I've grown up, you know, I've been experienced to know, hey, that's a blackberry, and be able to pick them when they're ripe. And it's just something we enjoy, and we get out and exercise. But I wouldn't say I particularly love working out. That is not my... That doesn't like give me refreshingness in my soul, you know? I'm, a, I'm a, a creature of comfort. If it means like, hey, you're gonna chill out in a lazy boy and somebody's gonna come and hand you a drink and you're just gonna prop yourself up there, it'd be like the movie Wall-E. If I had my way, I'd be like one of those guys sitting in a chair and that would be bad. But Paul here, what he's going to encourage us this morning in this chapter is he's gonna talk about working out. He's going to talk about the, the, the fact that we have been given a gift, but it's not, it's not a gift that just can lie dormant. It's not a gift that just works itself by itself. You don't just wind it up and let it go. He's going to talk about something that he, he calls us to work out. And, you know, this is where the church gets so messed up sometimes, is we think either we have to make something happen, or either everything's going to happen autonomously by itself. It just does its work for you. Push a button and it does all the work. And what Paul helps us understand here this morning is it's not, it's not really either of those. Scripture's going to help us understand what it means to 
work out in our salvation, the gift that we've been given. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to read again verses 12 through 18. Just one paragraph here, or a couple paragraphs, and this is what the word of the Lord says. Therefore, okay, I'm going to do it, and we're going to stop right there. Therefore, and what every good pastor says is, talks about, what is the therefore? Therefore. And, and, and so we have to ask that question. We can't just launch into this. And the therefore is the previous verses, which speaks about the humility of Christ. Remember we talked about that, how, how Jesus, who was God, who is God, and he humbled himself. He, he came down to earth, humbled himself even to the point of death and death on the cross. And in his humility, God in turn, God the Father exalted Jesus and gave him a name that is above every other name that at that name every tongue will confess that he is Lord and bow down on their knee and say, you are Lord. And, and so therefore, because of the truth of that, Jesus humbled himself, became a servant, set the example for us. I don't know if it's echoing out there a little bit. It sounds a little echoey here, so I don't know. Maybe you guys, if you could tweak that a little bit. Um, and, and, and yet... God exalted him, and the truth of who Christ is, this resounds in our hearts, and he says, therefore, my beloved, he's speaking to the church, remember this church, Philippians is probably one of Paul's favorite churches, right? It's got the least drama, and I, will, I like to understand this, that not only does Paul love this church, he likes this church. Marianne and I will, will often have this debate among ourselves of who likes each other more, Right? We, our marriage is so good <laughs> that we debate, we fight over who likes each other more, you know? And I think we get more offended if we, one of us feels a less of a like from each other, right? Because we know we have to love each other. I have to love her as, as my wife. She has to love me as her husband. And we, we, get to, we get to love each other. We choose to love each other because love is a choice, but liking each other is a whole different story, Right? And so I think here, Paul is saying, beloved, he's not just like, I just love you guys, but he's like, I actually like you guys, you know? Um, let's continue. As you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or questioning that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I do not run in vain or labor in vain. Verse 17, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering, even if I'm going to be killed, Upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all likewise. You also should be glad and rejoice with me. Let's pray together this morning. Lord, thank you for this word. Thank you for the timeliness of this word. Thank you that your word is alive. That is, as it says of itself, it's active, sharper, than two, any two-edged sword. It cuts through bone and marrow and sinew. And Lord, it gently, though, like a scalpel, 
cuts into the recesses and the darkness of our hearts. And, and so, Jesus, we ask that your word would come to us this morning and trim us, cut away the sin, cut away the flesh, cut away the temptations that we often so often easily give ourselves over to and align our hearts, do surgery on us this morning. Let your word penetrate us, bear fruit in us, transform us to make us more like the Son, Jesus Christ. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. So Paul talks about working out. He says, work, work out your salvation. He, he, he le- leaves us through this whole kind of, he actually kind of does a little sermon here in these you know, seven or so verses, and he just kind of breaks it down for us. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at some of these verses I think we need to highlight this morning and just talk about what that means and what it doesn't mean and how we apply that to our lives. That's really what I'm always trying to do on a Sunday morning whenever I preach, you know? I'm trying to take the truth of the gospel and then look at what the words of the Bible say and help us understand how the gospel applies to our lives. And then, so when we leave here, like, this is truth and it grows in us. So we're just going to highlight some of these things. So the first thing I want us to make mention of is this idea that Paul says, number one, work out your own salvation. Now, please, please, please notice, Paul does not say work for your salvation. One, we don't see that here in Philippians. Two, we don't see that anywhere in Scripture. Neither Old Testament whether lest we think that's how the Old Testament works, is that you had to work for your salvation. Even salvation pre-Christ, even salvation before Jesus came on the scene physically, was always through faith. And so we cannot look at this portion of Scripture and take the American culture, the American church culture, the whatever kind of work culture we have, and apply that to our salvation. Paul is not telling us to work for our salvation. The only way that we are saved is by grace through faith alone. That's the only way that we get salvation. See, the way it works is, in salvation, you are a sinner. You have a problem. It's sin. And in this problem of sin, you cannot defeat this sin on your own power or your own strength. You may have moments of really good times of, you know, where you feel like you're overcoming these in your own strength, but the Bible says even in that, our righteousness is as filthy rags. The best that you have to offer, God, is filthy rags. Oh, man. I mean, if it weren't for the rest of the story, that would feel kind of depressing, right? But see, the rest of the story is that we didn't have to work for our own salvation because all we had to offer was filthy rags, and God said, okay, I get that. These filthy rags won't do what needs to be done, and so therefore, I'm going to save you. I'm going to pull you up because you can't pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. No matter what the American dream says, you cannot do this on your own, and I have love and I have compassion on you, And so I'm going to pull you out, and what I'm going to do is set your feet on a solid foundation, which is Christ, and the work that he has done for you. Your job now is to work that out 
So what does that really mean to work out? If, if God did the working for us, if God did the hard work, the impossible work, that no one in this room, no one in this city, no one in this state, no one in this country, no one in this planet will ever be able to do or has done or will do into the future. Only one could do it, and that was Jesus because he was God and he was perfect. If that's true, that God has done the work for us, what does Paul in the world mean when he says, work out your salvation? What, how does that How does that work out in our lives? Well, I'm so glad you guys asked that question because that's why we're here this morning. And Paul wants to encourage us. So he does say, although he doesn't say work for, he does say work. Now, if you're like me and you love the gospel of Jesus, anytime you hear the word work attached to salvation, your ears should go, what? Wait a minute. I thought, Kelly, I thought you said God did all the work and, you know, we're not saved by works and all of that is true, but Paul does use the word work, so how do we apply that here? And we have to know that he is saying there is some work to do. I love this quote by Dallas Willard. Uh, I think we have it up here. It says this, grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude, effort is an action. Let me read that again. Grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude. Effort is an action. So what does that mean, Dallas? He's saying, in grace, we receive all that we need, but that doesn't mean that we don't make an effort. That doesn't mean that we don't work in what God has already provided for us. So in the sense of we have a gift that's been given to us, In our salvation, we don't just push the button and it does all the work. There is still something required of us, and that is obedience to God. That is taking God seriously at his word when he says things like, thou shalt not lie, right? None of us in this room need to pray and go, God, I'm really tempted. I'm not really sure. I stand on the edge of a knife. I'm trying to be dramatic as possible. There's, there's a situ- I'm doing good, being drama. There's a situation in front of me, and I need to know if I should lie or not. We, we don't ask those kind of questions, because the Word of God says, thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt, all these things, right? And so we don't go, okay, God, you said thou shalt not, and I just push the button, and I am automatically, because I'm saved, never ever going to be tempted again to ever tell a lie. We know that's not true because we still have this thing called the flesh. The Greek word calls it the sarks. Isn't that like a nasty sounding word? It's such an appropriate word. The sarks tries to rise up. I think of like a snake, right? The sharks. It's trying to, it's trying to rise up within me because I still have the flesh. I, I often intended, and when Paul says to work out your salvation, not work for, so I don't think if I don't lie, then I become more of a Christian. No, what I understand is I become a Christian, so therefore I don't have to lie anymore because I've been empowered by the Holy Spirit. And what I do in those moments where I'm on the edge of a knife and I decide whether I'm going to lie or not, what I do is I remind myself of the truth. I do the work of reminding myself of the truth of the gospel. I do the work telling myself that the Holy Spirit is alive in me, and therefore when sin comes and tries to tempt me, I put down the flesh, 
mortification of the flesh. I kill the flesh, so to speak. And I, what I do is I feed my spirit. And I do the work of feeding my spirit, which is doing the work of obedience. When it says, thou shalt not lie, I go, okay, I will do the work of not lying. It doesn't just happen automatically. There's work to be done. You guys doing okay? So, work means simply to live a life of obedience to God. I don't have this up here, and I did it on purpose because I want to read it to you, and I want you to just listen to how the psalmist talks about the work of God, the law of God, the obedience of God, following after him. If you're wanting to take notes, you can read this later. Psalm 119, and I'm going to read a good chunky portion of it. 33 through 48. This is what the psalmist says. Teach me. Just just think about these words. O Lord, the ways of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Delighting in God's commandments. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to self-gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things. Give me life in your ways. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. Turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. Behold, I long for your precepts, your laws. In your righteousness, give me life. Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord. Let your salvation according to your promises. Then shall I have an answer for him who taunts me. Temptation. For I trust in your word. And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth. For my hope is in your rules. I will keep your law continually forever and ever. I shall walk in a wide place for I have sought your precepts. I will also speak of your testimonies before kings and shall not be put to shame for I find my delight in your commandments which I love. I will lift up my hands toward your commandments which I love and I will meditate on your statutes. If you are of the opinion that when you become a Christian, all of a sudden this grace just gets applied to you and it doesn't mean that we need to live a life of obedience anymore, you are a deformed Christian. See, when you become a Christian, something changes inside of you that you love to be obedient now. You know when when Paul says things like, the things I don't want to do, I do. And the things I do want to do, I don't do. Who could save me from this wretched body, right? He's like, oh gosh, there's like a war going on inside of me. But Paul, because he's been regenerated and saved and the Holy Spirit's working, he knows that these things are wrong and he knows that these are good. And in his spirit, he wants to please God. And that's the same with the psalmist. You say, I love your rules. I hate rules, to be honest with you. I am not a rule follower. That is not in my personality per se. When someone tells me, don't walk on the grass, I see that and go, I want to walk on that grass. Because there's something about it that says, what's the problem with walking on the grass? The only reason you don't want me to walk on that grass is because you don't want me to walk on that grass. God grew that grass so I could walk on it and I want to walk on it. 
There's something inside of me that just wants to break the rules. It's my flesh. But when the Holy Spirit changes me from the inside out, the rules of God become my delight. I rejoice in the rules of God. So we see here, number one, that Paul says you've got to work out your salvation, not work for. And that is living a life of, of, of obedience. But he doesn't stop there. He gives us more helpful ways of how we are to work out this salvation. And a couple of these ways, he says this. He says, work out your salvation, number two, with fear and trembling. With fear and trembling. All right, so what does that mean, fear and trembling? Well, let me, let me first say what it doesn't mean, because you know, if you're, maybe you're newer to the faith, you don't understand it, but fear and trembling, what Paul is not saying, as a Christian, we need to cower in the corner because we're afraid that God is this big, mean, ogre kind of grumpy giant that he's just waiting for us to mess up and squash us at any moment he can get. Oh, I knew it. I knew you were going to Bam. And so we're always, you ever, you ever have, see a dog that's been abused by its master, its owner? What, what, what does that dog do when you kind of clap or you say something a little bit, you get excited and you may not even been like angry with the dog. You're just like, Woo-hoo! What, what does that dog do? Oh, it cowers and it jumps back and it like thinks you're going to hit it because it's used to being, being hit. And sometimes when we hear when Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, we think what he's saying is that we're meant to cower, we're meant to be afraid, we're, the, the arm of the Lord is strong and mighty and he suffers no fools and he's just ready to take us out at any moment. And that's not what Paul is saying. We're not meant to cower. We are meant, though, to fear and tremble. We can't get away from the fact that Paul does use the word fear and tremble. So how does that work itself out in our lives if we're not meant to cower, but yet there should be a fear? Well, I think Scripture helps us understand that. If you were to go into the Old Testament, we definitely see some examples of that. You Think of Isaiah, chapter 6, where Isaiah sees God in his splendor and his glory. It says the, the robe filled the temple. The robe of God's train filled the temple. What does that mean, that it filled the temple? Big deal. No, every time a king would get conquered by another king, that king would cut off his robe and add it to his robe. And the longer his robe was, it meant that he conquered more kings. And when Isaiah sees God, he sees that his authority, his kingship, fills the throne room because he is the conquering king. It says that smoke and thunder and lightning and peals of thunder are amongst his throne room. And angels, thousands of them, bow down and declare holy. Holy is the Lord. And what's Isaiah's response? Woe is me, for I am undone. There is a fear and a trembling before a mighty and a holy God. Joel, Job, same way, right? Job gets a little snarky with God. You'll see it if you read it. And what does God do? Dude, shut up and listen. Let me tell you, you want to complain about all this stuff? As if somehow you have a right to tell me what I should do? Let me tell you what's up, buddy. Moses. Moses says, God, show me your glory. Show me your glory. We sing that song. Who's the guy that sings that? Third day, 
He's like Eddie Vedder, the Christian Eddie Vedder, if you know what that is, singing through his teeth, show me your glory, right? We, and we sing that song, and we're like, yeah, I want to see your presence, right? And it's like, God's like, uh, no, Moses, even Moses, all I'm going to be able to do with you is you're going to hide in this rock, in the cleft of the rock, and when I walk by, I'll let you see my back. Because if I were to even show you my face, your face would melt. You just... Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark, all of that stuff would happen. But it's not just Old Testament. We think like the Old Testament, like God's this grumpy, big, mean, you know, even in New Testament, Natalie this morning reads the account of Jesus calming the storm, and the part that she didn't read is the, the, the disciples, at first it says they were afraid, they were, they were fearful. But after Jesus calms the storm and says, be silent, it says, great fear came upon the disciples. Who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey his voice? Whoa. So when Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, he's not just saying, hey, Jesus is your homeboy. It's cool. Jesus will just like, man, he, he, if, you, if you mess up and you sin, he's like, no big deal, dude. It's all cool, man. In my house, like, we just throw trash on the floor. Everybody does whatever they want, you know? Like, and we think of Jesus in this nonchalant, kind of disrespectful way that he's just going to turn a blind eye to our sin. And what we don't understand that Jesus is God. The same God who created the earth, the same God who smites down his enemies, the same God who takes sin seriously. We don't poke the tiger and think, this is so fun, without getting the repercussions of a claw swipe coming across. C.S. Lewis, in his Chronicles of Narnia, says this, there's a conversation between Susan and Mr. Beaver. And they're talking about Aslan. And if you don't know these books, Aslan is a lion, and he represents Christ in these books. And he, Susan said, or Mr. Beaver tells Susan who Aslan is. He says, Aslan is a lion, the great, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I, I thought he was a man. Is, is he quite safe? I shall, fee, I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about being safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He is the king, I tell you. Do we, do we take our sin seriously? Is there fear and trembling in a sense of the lion who was slain, the lion of Judah who roars? I'm running out of time. I, I want to I like bring this truth back to the gospel because I think sometimes we wrestle with this. Like, how do I fear? God's wrath against sin, I just want to get this right, guys. God's wrath against sin was never just nonchalant and chill. It was, God's wrath against sin is powerful and serious and terrifying and I think when we understand this, this should give us even more of a gratitude for our salvation. Because 
in God's wrath against sin, he wanted it dealt with so severely and so completely that he knew that the only way that it can be done was by absorbing it himself. And so we know the story. Jesus became a man and absorbed the wrath of God for us on our behalf. And it was so serious that only Jesus could do it. And I think what we need to do is, yes, we hold this healthy respect and fear, but it also needs to be gratitude and say, God, thank you that my sin was so grave and so, so just terrible that you were the one that defeated my greatness in sin. Your greatness was bigger than the greatness of my sin. We sing that song, my sin was great, Jesus is greater. And it's so true. And it should give us a gratitude, which honestly leads us into the next point. And he says this to us. He says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And then he says, do it without grumbling or questioning. <laughs> so um, we, made my, we went to the beach the other day. And I like, to, I like to hike. I like to get away from the traffic sound. And that usually means there's some hills, right? And it's hot right now. And so we said, all right, kids, we're going to the beach. Tomorrow, just giving you a heads up, we're going to go on a hike before we go to the beach. So we drove down to Laguna. And if you've ever gone to, down to Laguna, on Laguna Canyon, before you get to the beach, there's like three hiking spots. And so we picked one of them. We start going on. And it's the one we never went on. And the first thing we notice is that for like a mile straight, it is just uphill. <laughs> there is no, I mean, it's just nonstop a mile straight up, right? And uh, we, as a gracious and loving dad, I realize this is not going well, okay? So we're going up, and we get about a mile up, and I, we, we decide to turn around. On our descent, though, our, our kids, what are they doing? They're complaining about everything, right? I love you guys so much. I love you, Judith. <laughs> love you, Sam, Savannah, wherever you I think she's in kids today. And we, we're, Marianne and I are really mature, right? And we're, we know how to deal with all this kind of stuff. And we just said, all right, you guys, we're walking back down. It's going to be easier, but just get out all the complaining right now, all right? How many here is hot? I'm hot. Okay, all right. Duly noted. I'm thirsty. All right, duly noted. Got it. I'm tired. You know, I'm going to die. Those kind of things. Like, you're not going to die today, probably. It's at least not from this height. You know, and just get all this complaining out of the way. And what Paul is encouraging us here, he's saying, listen, like Kelly, who only runs in the case, unless a bear is chasing him, and I'm calling you to run, I get it. It's hard work. I get it. Working out your salvation is not always easy. But do it without complaining, and do it without grumbling, and do it without questioning. Isn't it easier, like when someone asks you to give feedback, isn't it easier to give all the negative things about something, right? So, you know, maybe you're in a work meeting, and, or maybe you're asking your kids about something. All right, guys, what'd you think about this? And it's usually easier for people to point out all the negative things that happen when they're criticizing. It's like, well, I didn't like this about it. Well, this wasn't perfect here, and blah, blah, blah. And I think it takes more effort, and I think, which is right, is to point out the positive things about it. 
And what Paul is saying here is, I know it's hard work. I know that the Christian life is a life of sacrifice and it's a life of putting to death sin. And it's continually at every moment in the road where you're tempted to want to gratify self. I understand that. But here's the beauty of this. Again, you've been, giving the pow- been given the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome these temptations. You've been empowered by God himself to give you joy in the midst of these things. And so my encouragement to you, Philippians Church, my, enc- my encouragement to you, Southlands Chino Church, is to do the hard work of working out your salvation, of saying, God, thank you. I will live a life of obedience. I will continue to put one foot in front of the other. And Lord, give me the strength to do this without grumbling or complaining. Why? Because I serve a God who is bigger than any circumstance. I serve a God who provides joy, not only provides it, but has afforded it for eternity in Christ through the cross for me. And when I tend to get my eyes on my circumstances and I tend to belly button gaze and go, woe is me, I do what I do, we do in worship this morning is go, Lord, let me get above these trees. The air's so thick and dank. God, help me, help me. Let me do the hard work. Let me work out my salvation. Let me climb back up to where the truth of where you are is and let me see what you see. Let me get your perspective on life. Let Remind me that I have been saved and I'm not worthy to be saved. And remind me, that God, that you saved me in spite of my sin. Remind me of the gift that you've given me in life. Remind me of all the, even the good things I have. I have a refrigerator. I have a refrigerator. When I push it, water comes out of it. It's cold water. And on this button, ice. I have a phone that I can dial someone on the other side of the world within seconds. I can watch a video on my phone. Well, that took three seconds. There's a three-second delay on Facebook Live, guys. (laughs) So the heck what? All right. (laughs) I'm preaching to myself. Paul tells us, work out your salvation, fear and trembling, without grumbling. And then he says here, I love this, hold fast to the word of life. Hold fast to the word. What does this mean, friends? You know, what, you know what's going on in the church right now? Church has a crazy identity issue right now. The church doesn't know who it is right now. Why? Because for so long, we haven't had to hold on to Scripture. You notice that? We, we, let, me just, let me talk about it here for a second. We live in an age where we have so much information available to us. If you want to read the Bible, if you have a smartphone, you download it, it takes about five seconds, and the whole Bible is on your phone. Boom, right? Not only that, we could push another button and it'll, it'll talk to us. And it will talk to us in maybe five different accents. 
You want a South African guy to read to you? You want James flipping Earl Jones to read to you the Bible? You could do it. But all of that easiness of information somehow has got lost in the fact that we kind of take it for granted. And in that taking it for granted, what we have clung to in the church is nice little platitudes. What we have clung to is scriptures on coffee mugs. What we have clung to is t-shirt Christianity that says a nice little, little quib, and then we go, man, yes, I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And when push comes to shove, those things don't last because we don't understand the context We don't understand the width, the fullness of Scripture. And so when the world comes against me from this side and this side and temptation comes here and this person and that and this situation, all these kind of things, what I do is I revert back to what I know and that was like coffee mug Scripture somewhere. Yes, that's how I'm going to live my life. And my identity is wobbling. And so when the church says, yeah, 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 Jesus is the answer. But that's so glib. The gospel can't be the It has to be the gospel and. It has to be gospel and social justice. Social justice, friends, is a fruit of the gospel. The reason why we protest, the reason why we stand for the, the orphaned, the widow, the disenfranchised, the, the, the oppressed, is not because God has called that as the center of who we are as a people. The center of who we are as a people, that we were sinners with no way to save ourselves, God rescued us, and he can do that for others. And the way it works out is the gospel of Jesus gets into the heart of those people, and it transforms them from the inside out. And the reason why we protest, the reason why we stand up for people who can't stand up for themselves is because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, not the other way around. The church is in an identity crisis right now. Why? Hold fast to see what hold fast to the word of love, life. Uh, what good is it if we just know these scriptures too? I can listen in my car on my way to work on a podcast or whatever it is, my Bible app. Put it even on two times speed so I can listen to it faster. And if I just sit there and I do nothing with it. We have to apply the word of God to our lives. Jesus said, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house. It will happen, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Paul tells Timothy, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Psalms says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yield its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. 
in all that he does, he prospers the word of God, the word of God, the word of God, the word of God, walking long direction in obedience. Work out your salvation, how? With fear and trembling, without grumbling, and hold fast to the word of life. Let me just say this. No, I don't have time to say it. All right. We don't want a God who's an isolated Bible verse God. We want a God who is all of who he is all of the time. Because when COVID comes, and it has come, and it's coming, and I don't know where it's going. None of us really know. We all want it to end. I know that. But we don't know. There's a reason why there's not all of us gathered this morning is because of COVID, right? When COVID comes, when COVID destroys my job and I lose my job, when my relationships fall apart, when my finances started to take a hit, when whatever it is in the situation, I do not need a God, I do not need a precious moments Bible God. I don't need a cute little God who has a little thing for every kind of situation. What I need is the God who rips to shreds the sin of the world. So that when sin pokes the tiger, that tiger goes And we all go, whoa. Because that God is stronger than the situations that I will ever face. Paul ends with this. Says, work out your salvation in all these ways and remember, be glad and rejoice. Be glad. And again, we're coming back to joy. So, how does joy work out in our workout? Again, I don't like working out. Some of us don't like working out. Some of us love it. You're weird. Okay, whatever. But most of us who have normal tendencies don't like working out. But Paul says, work out and do it with joy. Do it without grumbling and do it with joy. Now, I want us to come back to this truth. Joy is not based on circumstances. It's easy to be happy and joyful when everything's going your way, right? It's lippity doo right? We're not allowed to sing that anymore, apparently, but whatever. So we love those kind of things. The bluebird's sitting on our shoulder. Everything's happening right, and I'm feeling fine and dandy. What in the world happens when the bluebird... (laughs) Is my joy based on birds singing around me, like Snow White? Is my joy based... I mean, Paul says this here. What does he say? He says this at the end. Verse 17, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering, even if I'm about to die, Be glad and rejoice with me. Paul, what is wrong with you? Are you weird? No, he's saying, I know what it's like to be able to push my circumstances aside and look to the Father and find my and find my joy no matter what the world is screaming at me, 
no matter what people are telling me, no matter what this person's, I mean, when he says I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, the, the previous of that is, we're going to get into it later, but I know how to suffer well, and then I know how to like not suffer well. I can do all of these things in Christ who strengthens me. Paul's saying, why? Because I've learned not to put my joy in circumstances. I've learned not to let joy be based on whatever's happening or not happening to me. Well, then what, Paul? How do you keep joy? He goes, I keep it on the thing that is constant and steady. And the only thing that's constant and steady is Christ. No matter if I'm about to be executed or no matter if they're about to take off the shackles and say, oh, by the way, here's reparations, here's $10 million. And then he tells the Philippian church, rejoice. Be it's, he's like he's telling them to do it. It'd be weird if I said, be happy. You'd be like, what, what, what do you mean? I can't just be happy. Paul says, yeah, you can. Yeah, rejoice. Okay. You know, no, look up. Remember who Jesus is. Remember what you've been given, the joy of salvation. Remember these things. Don't do this. Look around. Oh, the swamp is going higher. Lift your eyes to Jesus. Be glad and rejoice. I am going to end with this because I am committed to always have some reference to the Lord of the Rings. It says this. Frodo and Gandalf Frodo says, I wish the ring had never come to me. I wish none of this had ever happened. Gandalf says, so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. Frodo, rejoice, be glad. Yeah, I get it. This ring thing sucks. But you have something bigger. You have a mission. You have a Gandalf doesn't tell him you have a savior, but that's who we have, right? Will you stand with me this morning?